0: I learned that I was going to speak tonight uh, about three days ago. And I was suggested that I talk about the Marine Corps in the Civil War. The Marine Corps in the Civil War was not, you do not have in the Marine Hymn from the plains of Manassas uh, to the uh, Shenandoah Valley in the Marines. Hem from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Perhaps if Archibald Henderson, the only man that was Commandant of the Marine Corps for almost, 30, uh, almost 40 years, yes, I said almost 40 years. Perhaps if he had not gone to bed on the night of the sixth day of January, 1859, the Marine Corps may have been, have been uh, more important and, of more, and not in its doldrum, doldrums as it was during the Civil War. There's Archibald Henderson, who took over as commander of the Marine Corps in, 19, in 1820, and will die on, does not wake up on the morning of the seventh day of January of 59, has been the man who would use his political know-how, his belief in the Marine Corps, uh, to change the Marine Corps' mission. The Marine Corps at this time had uh, 63 officers and 1,700 men, in, enlisted men in the Marine Corps. And both in the Seminole War and in the Mexican War, in which the halls of Montezuma in the Marine Corps Him, he was responsible for uh, for inserting Marine battalions both into the Seminole War and with Scott on the march from Veracruz uh, to Mexico City. So with uh, with of course when he dies, he's succeeded by a rather lackluster uh, commandant, uh, James Harris, who will be the Commandant of the Marine Corps until 1864, when he'll be succeeded by Jacob Jake Zylund. As a Marine in World War II, I did know of Jake Zyland. Every All Marines know of Archibald Henderson. But Zylund, we knew of him because one of the Marine Corps transports was the Zyland, And that's my first connection with Jake Zylund. Well, the Marines, of course, the. Have the traditional role that they had, as inherited from the British Marines. The Marines serve as, at this time, as a band, the president's band, a task they'd assumed in the early years of the 19th century. They serve as aboard ships of, of war principally from the British Navy Oh, because the men in the Navy are multinational. They, their discipline is harsh in the Navy, and the British, the, the British introduced Marines in the British Navy to protect the officers from mutinies and the enlisted men. So the Marines of the United States Marines had that duty, and they serve as guards at the Navy Yard, and at the, at, the, at the Navy prisons. So that was the role of the Marines, except for that window of opportunity Archibald Henderson gave them. Now the Marines will play uh, the major role after the death of Henderson, leading up to the Civil War, will be the only combat arm in Washington at that time, uh, is uh, in uh, in October 1859. In the morning of October 1859, reports reach Washington that rioters are in possession of Harper's Ferry. Uh, the, it reaches uh, one, of our, uh, one of our not great secretaries of war, John B. Floyd, <laughs> and the only combat troops in Washington are stationed at 8th and 9th. Any contacts, 8th and 9th. And Major Harris, uh, uh, General uh, Commandant Harris, details Israel Green to turn out 89 Marines, and accompanied by a Marine Corps paymaster. We have to have uh, more respect for them all the time, because a paymaster in those days did not carry a weapon. So he gets aboard the train to Harper's Ferry with his rat and cane, and the train is going to uh, be received a message, telegraph message, to halt near uh, uh, near uh, uh, just to the east of Arbor's Ferry, because by this time they have up up uh, Lieutenant uh, Ju- uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee, who is down in Alexandria at a drugstore in civilian clothes, and he's ordered to report uh, to uh, uh, Major uh, to uh, the Secretary of War, uh, where he is. Uh, uh, been summoned there by James Ewell Brown Stewart. So they will proceed on to Harper's Ferry. Stewart and uh, Lee and Stewart will overtake uh, the Marines waiting for him near Sandy Hook and they will cross the bridge into Harper's Ferry. And the next day, when the militia, the brave militia from first uh, Virginia and then Maryland declined the opportunity, of attacking the engine house and capturing Brown and his survivors in the ancient house, it will be the task of the United States Marines. After Stuart goes forward and summons Brown to surrender, uh, su- su- summons old man Smith, as is known as Isaac Smith, Brown- uh, Stuart will recognize him as Osawatomie Brown. They do not do very good Not the end, since Brown will not negotiate, these orders or don't negotiate with terrorists. Uh, Stewart will step back, wave his quill step aside, and the Marine detachment, 27 of them with Marine in front, come up with, with, with sledgehammers and slam against the door. There's too much given the door. So the Marines will then secure a ladder and punch a hole through the door. Near the lower left hand corner. And through that lower left hand corner will be the first man through, will be Israel Green, and Russ Brunt behind him will be the major paymaster with no weapon at all, followed by other Marines. Now, the most fateful day in the United States could happen soon. Brown, uh, Green has worn his dress sword. The dress sword is, does, is very limber. It is not the heavy sword in which you're supposed to kill our main man, known as a Brucebreaker. So he takes his light sword and tries to run Brown through with it. It hits Brown in his belt and bends double and breaks within about six inches of the hilt. Meanwhile, Zoe, so instead of running Brown through, he beats him to the ground. With his, with his dressed sword, and two other Marines, the other Marines have come through. They have skewered one of the, they've secured, they've, they've secured one of the uh, Raiders with so much foot behind the bayonet that he sticks him to the bayonet, lifts him off the wall, and the Raider ends up with his head pointing downward. One Marine is killed, one Marine is wounded, and Brown is captured. So on the most event, important event leading to the uh, to the outbreak of the Civil War, the Marines are present. Now with the Mr. Lincoln's call uh, for 75,000 militia on the several states to serve for 90 days to put down combinations too far over the ordinary judicial process, troops begin assembling in and around Washington. The Marines and the Marine barracks are going to be recruiting men uh, for duty aboard ships. The Marine detachments at uh, Pensacola Navy Yard and the uh, Gosport Navy Yard have a sad fate as they serve under weak-kneed commandants, and they are surrendered. So uh, uh, as they prepare to send troops out to uh, Manassas. A battalion of Marines, commanded by Major Reynolds, totaling about totaling uh, 348, will march out assigned to the uh, division. Uh, the division commanded by Samuel Hines. Uh, uh, excuse me. They'll march out assigned to the brigade uh, to the brigade commanded by Andrew Porter, and they will be committed into the battle. So, unfortunately, it will not be to the Plains of Manassas, as uh, Reynolds and his battalion are ordered to, uh, in the after- early afternoon to cross Young's branch and move forward to the support of uh, the oldest artillery unit in the United States Army, even today. Company D, 5th U.S. Artillery commanded by Charles Griffin, and in this role, Griffin is a little suspicious when he wants some infantry support. He is assured by his major, Major Berry, that you will have artillery support. I can guarantee it. And when they move into position on Henry Hill, they are expecting support by the... the, uh, Reuben is expecting support from the Marine Battalion, commanded by Major Reynolds, expecting support from the 11th New York who, that's the former regiment commanded by our friend Albert Ellsworth, and from the red-legged devils of the 14th Brooklyn. But as we're going to find out, they're not, the, neither of these regiments, particularly the 11th New York, and the Marine Battalion will not do very well. They'll be mistaken of identity because of Confederate uniforms, particularly when the 33rd Virginia, dressed in gray uniforms, starts moving toward Company company D, 5th U.S. A big debate between Barry and Griffin, what they are. Barry realizes in the last minute he is wrong, but the Confederates are too close, and a body will fire, and the battle will rage. The tide begins to turn as the guns change hands five times, and unfortunately, the Marines do not uh, do not do very well, and uh, do no better than any of the other Union units, and uh, they will march back uh, with a loss of about uh, 40 men and return from the first uh, time that they appear as a combat unit in the Civil War. Now the uh, the Marines will. Uh, uh, be used as landing operations in, along with the Navy. And they're going to have several unfortunate opportunities. Now, uh, the Navy is, beating, is betting much of their prestige in, a, in who can capture Charleston, that citadel of rebellion. Of course, already, Samuel DuPont has shot himself in the foot. When the Union monitors attempt to shoot their way into Charleston Harbor on the 7th day of April 1863 and are repulsed. In a race to see who can capture Fort Sumter, which is being pounded into rubble as we get uh, after the Union, have seized Morris Island. Uh, Fort Wagner is now in the hands of the Union, Fort Brigg and Sumter is crumbling around the Confederate defenders. Now the Army and the Navy are going to play one-upmanship. Who is going to capture Fort Sumter? So uh, uh, Admiral Gauvin will outfit a naval landing force. The naval landing force will consist of a a detachment of Marines and a detachment of sailors. There will be little coordination in the attack on Fort Sumter, With little coordination, the Confederates stand tall and the landing operation, uh, unlike Iwo Jima, uh, the Marines will not land and have this or have the situation well in hand as they along with the Navy will be repulsed uh, by at Fort Sumter. Another role the Marines are going now, the Marines are going to have a problem because the Marines are going to now until 1957, when you got a commission in our Army, Navy, or Marine Corps, it always described you as an <laughs> officer and a gentleman. Enlisted men that were not considered gentlemen. Finally, uh, in the do-gooding and feel-good days of the late 50s, the 1950s, that is, they delete the gentlemen from commissions due to of uh, the officers in Naval Services and the Marine Corps. So, but in those days, since they're gentlemen, officers can resign, even if it is to take up the sword against the United States. Enlisted men can't do that. If they do, they are deserters. So one third of the 63 officers in the United States Marine Corps will go south. One of them is, uh, of course, one is Israel Green. He does not stand by the United States. He resigns his commission and will go into the Marine Corps, Confederate Marine Corps, which will never total more than 500 people. Another one would be Algeron Smith. We mentioned him. When the Marines arrive out there where we were at Fort Washington on the first day of January of the new year of 1861, they will hold Fort Sumter. Now, uh, they will hold uh, Fort Washington, but then he decides he wants to resign, to go south. Well, the Navy is playing hardball, and when he tries to resign, they reject him, and then we'll give him a dishonorable discharge, but that does not bother him, as he serves in the United States and Confederate Marine Corps. Now, uh, the Marine Corps will expand, but only gradually, because the Marine Corps does not give bonuses for enlisting. The Marine Corps has the longest enlistment for regular service, uh, so only a, per, a person who is not new people will enlist in the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps will, will expand, but not to over three thousand men. Now, the Marine Corps' last important landing operation will be at will be undertaken at Fort Fisher on the fifteenth day of January, eighteen. 1865, The first union advance against Fort Fort Fisher had turned up in a one-upmanship campaign between Benjamin Franklin Butler, commander of the Army, a detachment, and the Navy commanded by the man with the biggest ego in the United States Navy, and I would argue a bigger ego than any man in the United States Army ever before or since, and there have been big egos, and that is David Dixon Porter. Now, David Dixon Porter, when they go back, uh, he wants a piece of the action. They can see that the Civil War is running rapid, uh, rapidly. Mr. Wells would like a success by the Army, by the Navy, because we have to remember, when you do a cutback, uh, the Navy does not get much publicity. Blockade duty doesn't compare with battles of like Gettysburg, Vicksburg, and these other great battles. And the Navy, of course, has that disaster on them from uh, its blackened Dupont's reputation, from their failure to shoot their way into Charleston Harbor, and forced to send surrender that citadel of the rebellion. So on the 15th, they work on a joint plan. It's to be a they're going to attack when they hear the whistles on the warships. Now the Navy force will consist of 2,500 sailors drawn from the ships of Porter's uh, Atlantic blockading squadron, and the five, 500 Marines drawn from the Marine detachments aboard the ships. Uh, they've, uh, they're going to work out an ad hoc plan. What they do is plan to advance. Now, the Marines are going to be armed with uh, uh, rifled muskets, good range. The Navy are going to attack with pistol and broadsword, just like they would have done when the ships were of wood and the men of iron. Porter also is going to double-cross the army. He's going to have his men advance first and hopefully seize uh, Fort Fisher before the army is ready to attack. So the Marines in the plan of operations from, uh, from Captain Breeze is the Marines are to advance a short distance and take position and open fire on the mound battery. That is the strongest battery at Fort Fisher. That is where the land front and the seafront come together at a right angle. And the sailors, covered by the marines, the sailors with the broadsword in one hand and the pistol in the other, are going to charge across the depths, through the torpedoes, through the stockade, and seize North Fisher. Well, this attack turns into a, a disaster for the United States Navy. Some of the Marines halt and open fire. Some get carried away in advance with the sailors, and they all uh, get chewed up by the Confederates as they try to mount the superior slope of the Mound Battery. So it's going to cost the United States Navy and Marines and sailors one fourth of the men involved. It doesn't look very good when the Army advances, uh, led uh, by troops under uh, uh, Curtis's brigade, six foot. What a target he would make, General Curtis, as he made his men against the Confederate left-like near the sea marsh. And that's where they breached the line. And the Marines and the Navy uh, have not done much well there. So the other branch of the Marines that they're going to do are the Marines that serve aboard ship. And the Marines that serve aboard ship in their traditional role Will, win, will become recipients of 17 Medals of Honor for various operations. The first Marine to ever become a recipient of the Medal of Honor is Corporal Mackey. Now, Corpor- Corporal Mackey will be serving aboard a gun crew aboard, uh, the, aboard Galena on the 15th day, uh, Jan- uh, day of May when the Navy is again going to try to up one-upmanship the Virginia Creeper. Uh, General McLennan, who is a General McClellan who had taken it like a stride of a giant as he moves his army of 123,000 men from, from Alexandria to the peninsula. Writing his wife as he leaves, the first person I've ever seen called Washington as a saint of iniquity in a letter. And he will write his wife on that day, telling her how glad he is to escape that sink of iniquity, Washington, D.C. But when he gets down to the peninsula, it will be a change from the, uh, from the stride of a giant, as it is described by the British press, into the Virginia creeper. And after the evacuation of the Yorktown War with the President of the United States takes action. As commander in chief, he's going to organize an operation Probably the first time the President, as Commander-in-Chief, has ever organized an operation. And that is going to involve the capture of Norfolk, which they're going to carry off successfully, and sending a fleet up the James River to get to Richmond ahead of the Army. And the uh, vessels, commanded by John Rogers, the Galena, having aborted its marine detachment, it's an ironclad, but a real ripoff of an ironclad monitor, Stevens Battery, Aroostook, and Port Royal head up the river. And in the battle, uh, Mackey will be sighted and become the first of the 17 Marines to be, become recipients of the Medal of Honor in the Revolutionary in the Civil War, or any war. Now the Marines will. Uh, will be in their dorms of their career. It will continue, uh, so the war will find, the Marine Corps has added not much to their illustrious history. Uh, maybe, uh, again, for them, through the aggressive actions of Archibald Henderson. And they will have to go on uh, through the 1870s and the 1880s, and not until the Spanish-American War and the the Philippine insurrection, the Marines again get a significant role in support of the Navy. uh, The role that uh, Archibald Henderson had tried to gain for them and was doing successfully until he was just too old and tired. And he goes to bed on the sixth day of January 1859 and a bad time for the Marine Corps not to wake up the next morning because again, using his political skills, uh, his uh, connections in Washington, I feel certain that he would have got to bring more, more uh, uh, publicity, more center stages, and then they get in the uh, uh, the the uh, uh, Civil War. So uh, uh, weak leadership on the commandant's level will nullify the good start that Archibald Anderson had made. The Marine Corps will end up in uh, lackluster operations, and hence, there is nothing in the Marine Hymn about uh, any significant operations in the uh, uh, the uh, Civil War. So this is closing my story on the Marine Corps <laughs> in the Civil War. You heard it's not being highlighted much at this time uh, to focus on uh, World War uh, the World War II in the exhibits, the Korean Conflict and Vietnam. So you're going to get about 30 more minutes or whatever the time limit was that Connie might talk and uh, what you can go back and see in the exhibits on the burning door. And then at the end, one from the time that our peerless leader spoke to you, uh, I think he wanted you back on the, uh, uh, back on your on your, well, I spoke just when you wanted me to quit. Now you want your back on that bus at 9:30. So thank you for your attention.